0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. He wants me to slap you around a little bit this morning. I love those people and I love how you raised your hand for both. So we're we're off to a good start. The yes and answer will always win me over. Always. Hi Jacqueline, happy anniversary. The Lord has been good to you, not because of me, but for the patience that he has bestowed on your life. I just want to say, I'm happy to be here on the anniversary because it was probably right around now that I was standing there watching the greatest gift I will ever get in my life walk down the aisle and and become my wife. (laughs) And I was... I was thinking about it today, Uh, was, again, kind of having a rough morning, and Jacqueline said some encouraging things, and then Sophia said a couple encouraging things when we got into the car, and again, when I want to know what the Holy Spirit looks like, I immediately think of Jacqueline. Not only what she's done in her own life, what she has worked very hard to do in mine, but even watching the way that Sophia lives and acts like her. And uh, we, were, we were at a party, and we were hoping that it was time to go soon. It was like our 13th kid's party of the day, and they brought the magician out. I'm like, oh, my God, can we make the party disappear? Like, that would be, <laughs> you know? And during, during the middle of it, uh, one of the kids just had an absolute meltdown and, like, ran off. And we sat back and watched Sophia get up and go sit down next to that kid and sit with that kid for the rest of the entire time and missed everything that was going on up front and sat with him. And I said to myself right away, like, I haven't been that kind of person. Jacqueline has always been that kind of person. And so it's amazing what you've done in our life. And so I'm Super excited for 12 years. I hope for 50, 60, 70 more with you. And I hope that one day you don't wake up and realize uh, you married down. (laughs) So, no, I love you very much. Happy anniversary. And sorry ahead of time for what I do in the next 12 years. All right, the gospel. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say this, and this is Luke's version of the Our Father. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus continues teaching them how to pray. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will not go to him at midnight, everybody say midnight, and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him because I'm lazy and ill-prepared. That's not in my, is that in your Bible, that part? No? Okay. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, he's still talking about prayer, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Word of the Lord. Aldo, you were correct. I do have oil on this rag, and I'm now wiping eucalyptus. No, it's fine. We'll be fine. You know me very well. He's like, you're going to be sweating like a pig in two minutes. Do you want me to get you a different towel because you just wiped the oil off your hands? I'm like, no. And now my eyelids are burning alive. So we're in this series uh, called Summer Apocalypse. And I want to say this. We keep hearing this term, the new normal. And it needs to be said that the normal Jesus has always been trying to reveal is the ordinary. For Jesus, he's always been trying to give us the normal. The fact that we're looking for a new normal implies that it was normal before COVID, and it wasn't. And the reason why it wasn't normal before COVID is because we're still people who are only satisfied with an extraordinary life. We're only satisfied when things are bigger and faster and get more likes and get more hits and, and and give us more stuff and more fruit is being born. Like we're and more people are getting saved and more churches are going up and our churches are getting bigger. Like we're only people who are satisfied when things are moving forward at a rapid pace. And it's always been that way. It's one of the reasons why the world is in the pit that it's in right now is because we all inherently, because of sin, gobble up resources to move ourselves ahead. And Jesus has been trying since the beginning of time, since let there be light, he has been trying to introduce what should have always been normal, and that is the ordinary, the boring, the mundane. It's such a cliche. Everyone's going to agree when I say this. The ability to look at your life as it stands today and say that because God's hand is upon it, it is more than I could have ever dreamt of. We say yes in church to that. But do we live, make decisions like we truly are that content? Do we talk? Does our complaining reveal contentment? Do we complain about the right things, or do we complain about things we should be thankful for and then become thankful for things we probably should be complaining about? It's a heat wave. I complained about it, but my body feels heat. I should be thankful, but I'm still going to complain about the heat wave because I don't follow all of my sermons very well, so it's fine. You can judge me all you want. I don't care. I said it first. What trains us to live this unhurried, not not busy, unhurried. There's a difference when I say that God wants us to live an unhurried life. I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to be busy. Hurriedness is something that's going on in you when alarms are going off and anxiety is happening and you feel you're in a rush whether you're doing stuff or not. And we've all sat down and still not really been able to sit down on the inside. That's being hurried. You could be busy and not hurried on the inside. You could be massively busy with so much to do, mind-numbing amounts of stuff, but be restful and unhurried on the inside. Jesus was busy. If not for nothing, he was working on me. That is enough for a lifetime, let alone all of you, Cahill over here, Steve, Tim, Aldo. I'm picking on the men. Ron, I'm scared of Ron. Ron, you're fine. Essie will, will kill me. Yeah. Even though she's not here, she's here. You know what I mean? She'll get you. He's busy, but he wasn't hurried. And I've said this to you a million times, but I can't get over the verse after he blesses the bread when it says, and after supper, he took the cup of wine. The word after will forever blow my mind. Because if you are in Jesus' shoes, sandals, if you're in his sandals, you're sitting there with the most disruptive reality that's about to take place over your life. And you manage to leisurely eat the whole meal and not finish your sermon until you're done eating. When we have a men's breakfast, I don't eat until I'm done talking because of nerves, because of excitement, because of all kinds of things. Jesus, on the night he goes to the cross, is able to finish a meal because he's not hurried even though he's busy. He is in still waters and green pastures on the inside, and that's normal. That's ordinary. That would be a new normal for us. Amen? To be able to be in the midst of craziness, life teeming by you, the years flying by, your body changing like crazy, ups and downs, but somehow through all of that, to like be able to possess yourself on the inside and feel unhurried. It's weird to let three seconds go by without me talking right now because on the inside, you got to feel that. you got to say something but it's because we're used to every second being full of something, even on the inside. So how do we learn about this normal, this ordinary? Well, we have six months of ordinary time where we learn about the parables of Jesus and the life of Christ. But before that, there's something called Advent. And Advent Trains us in waiting because one of the reasons why we're not restful on the inside is because we can't wait for anything. If you think you're good at waiting, wait to eat until three o'clock. People laughed. (laughs) Never. I might not wait till you're done preaching before I decide to eat today. Wait. Have something to say to somebody you're in an argument with and wait to say it. We're not good at waiting. I say things before I have something good to say in an argument. When we live like we don't have to wait, we're telling the world and ourselves that what we have is the best there could ever possibly be. Look at the world. Is it the best it could possibly be right now? Nope. Which means waiting should motivate us because there's something better than what we see. There's more for you. There's more in you than even what you've seen in your own realized potential. Somebody say amen. There's more in your children than what you've seen no matter how old they are. There's more in your anointing, your calling, your purpose than you've ever realized or could possibly fathom. There is more for you, and as we wait, we're strengthened to be able to receive those things. That teaches us to be unhurried. So we spend time every year in Advent talking about waiting. And then we move to epiphany. And epiphany is training us In Revelation, not the book of Revelation, in God giving you an idea that you didn't have before in a moment when you really need it. A verse, a story, uh, an enlightening thought, wisdom, whatever it is. Why do we need to be trained in Revelation? Because if we're not, we will only ever be trained in our own conjured opinions. The opposite of a revelation from God is an opinion that comes from your gut. And so many of us, so many of us, myself included in unfortunately deep ways, since 2020, because of so much lag time and alone time and isolation, we have confused our own carnal gut opinion with a revelation from the Holy Spirit. We have to spend those three, four, five, six weeks of epiphany Learning about two kinds of revelation. And you don't have to take notes about this because I am going to talk your ear off about this as we head towards Christmas in about five months. Take that 123 degrees outside. We're going to be sleigh riding soon. And then I'm going to be like, it's so cold, I hate this. <laughs> Never content. Two kinds of revelation. The first one is the revelation that only the Holy Spirit can bring to you. It's the moment when John the Baptist is in the Jordan River and he looks and sees Jesus, a person he has known for 30 some odd years, and he sees Jesus and this time he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And in that moment, Jesus finally makes sense to John and now John's whole life finally makes sense to John because now he can say, I've been the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now I know why I've been rejected. Now I know why I'm eating locusts and wild honey. Now I know why everybody thinks I'm a madman because I'm the voice preparing the way for the voice that they're going to crucify. That kind of revelation lets you know who Jesus is and it immediately lets you know who you are and only the Holy Spirit can give it to you and we need to be trained Every year for a season in hearing the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to us in a way that reveals us to us. But there's a second kind of revelation in Epiphany, and that's the revelation that Mary and Joseph got when the wise men came and told them, we saw a star and we're here to worship a king. That word confirmed what they had only known at that point through dreams. There's nothing more exciting in your life as a Christian than when you know God is telling you something and then out of the blue, somebody comes and says, God told me to tell you this and it's the exact thing you've been dreaming about for 10 years. And now you know you're not indulgent, you're not sinful, you're not prideful, you're not crazy, you're obedient. And how many are super surprised when you realize you're obedient? But the revelation didn't just come from any three people. It came from pagan, star worshiping, dirty Gentiles. So, everybody think right now of a kind of person or a group of people that may come with a lot of acronyms, that may come with a lot of letters, that make the church feel super uncomfortable. Think of a person you wouldn't want to hear a word from the Lord from. Somebody who doesn't follow the ways of God. Who smokes and drinks like I used to do. Used to on one of those, but this isn't the confessional booth. Somebody who you, in your whole wildest dreams, would think would never, with their lifestyle and what they're involved in, would ever be able to give you a word from the Lord and then know He's been trying to speak to you through them forever. Is a heat wave and I'm cranky, Rob. They were people that we have categories for now, but when we read it romantically in the Bible, because now they call them the wise men, but they are called wise men because we've seen God act on Mary and Joseph's life through them, so now we call them wise, but they were everybody that the church would have been rejecting all along. And yet they brought gifts and affirmed Jesus as king before anybody else did, and odds are they never changed their lifestyle. As a matter of fact, God sent them back home to where they came from and never, didn't tell them to stay here. as you were, gentlemen. So that's fun. Who wants a word from the, Well, we all want a word from the Lord from somebody in church on Sunday. But what about when somebody you have judged in your heart as being not Christian, not filled with the Spirit, disgusting and immoral, what happens when they are right and have a word for you? Are you ready to receive gold, frankincense, and myrrh from them? Well, we're not. That's why we need epiphany every year until Jesus comes back. Lent, everybody's favorite, Lent. Everyone's got, like, Make Lent Great Again t-shirts. Like, we all love Lent so much. Lent is training in (laughs) self-awareness. If there's something we all collectively lack, it is a healthy dose of self-awareness. The ability to know what you look like and how you're coming across to other people. We don't have this. We dropped it. It got kicked around. It's in the lost and found someplace. We don't have self-awareness anymore. Lent is gives us its training in self-awareness. Why? Because Lent is designed for you to fail. It's designed for you to give up something you really love and then realize you have a hard time giving it up. Here's the problem with Lent. We celebrate Lent one of two poor ways. We either don't celebrate it because we think it's for the Catholics, which is stupid because it existed long before they did. Lent existed before Christmas. Because Easter was what the whole calendar was centered around, and they wanted to fast before Easter. God forbid. They wanted to consecrate themselves before the great and awesome day of the Lord. We either say, ah, Lent is for the Catholics, or Lent, I don't celebrate Lent, or I do my own spontaneous thing. Yeah, it's called sin. Try something else. Or we try to perform Lent and get it right. And we live to make it the 40 days and not allow those 40 days of fasting to reveal me to me and for God to show me how I'm coming across to you. Once in a while, I listen to bits and pieces of these messages because I like to hone the craft. And every time I'm like, ugh, I said that, I did that. I looked that way, and then I do it again, and again, I probably did it three times already today, because we don't have good self-awareness, so Lent gives us self-awareness. Pentecost is training in power, training in power, because the only power we know of is power defined by being stronger than somebody else. We need to be trained in power that makes us weaker than everybody else. Because when and only when I'm weak, then did Jesus overcome the world with power? Everybody say yes. But when he was exemplifying his power, did it look powerful? We need to be trained by a power that doesn't win because other people lose, but a power that enables other people to win because we're willing to lose. Go sell how much that you have, lose, so that the poor could have something to eat. And people left him like crazy because none of us want to be trained in actual power. And then finally, there's ordinary time. I don't know what's happened to our list seems to have stopped but that's okay. Then there's ordinary time which is how is the training going? How are you doing with waiting and revelation and self-awareness and hope and power? But the reason why we live hurried internal lives is because we don't want to wait, want to live off of our own opinions, don't want to be aware of ourselves, we don't Want to hope oh, I skipped Easter, my bad. that was my fault. Easter. Hope. Why is that important? Because hope means you don't have it yet. Yeah? How many have prayed and then realized God didn't answer it? How many prayed for the world? And realized God didn't answer it? The only thing that can sat, like even get into that space is hope. But in order to be people of hope, we have to be people who say yes to not having what we need right now. The only way we can be hopeful is to admit that there is more good that we don't have that needs to come. You can't have hope if you're completely satisfied with your own personal life. Because if you're satisfied with where your life is at, and that has made you a settled person, you're ignoring your brothers and sisters, and you desperately need the parable of the Good Samaritan in your life. You cannot be satisfied as a human being and as a Christian with the Spirit groaning in you for the suffering of the world and be totally and completely content with your life and hopefully God deals with everybody else's. Easter teaches us that. Sorry, that was my bad. And now, ordinary time is asking ourselves, are we good at waiting? Are we good at revelation that goes against our opinions? Are we good with self-awareness, hope, and power rooted in the cross, not in the sword, or the gun, or the tank, or the stock market? Ordinary time is time for us to see how much more training we still need. Well, this is all well and good. How do we... Work through that. There's one easy answer. It's the answer most given by Christians. And it's the answer most lied about by Christians. And that is, I'll pray for you. It's the answer we give more than any other answer. And it's probably the most consistent lie we actually tell. We'll get them group text with all the hands. Praying, praying, praying. Like, okay, you know how to click an emoji. But did you shut your phone, shut your TV, get on your hands and knees and actually pray? Or did you basically throw prayer back into God's lab and say, Lord Jesus, please help them. And that's it. You didn't travail. You didn't cry. You didn't struggle through prayer. Yo, if praying is easy for you, you're not praying. Prayer needs to push you up against a brick wall all the time. Prayer should be the kind of thing that you have to say, Lord, teach me how to pray teach me to pray. Why? Because I just heard you praying, Jesus. That's what it says in the text we read. I heard, when they heard Jesus, they said, whoa, we're not praying if that's praying. If what my man just did is prayer, I'm not praying. Lord, teach us to pray. So what is the first thing we need? The first thing we need to develop a craft, to develop the art, to develop a good, solid, fruitful life of prayer, the first thing we need is to hear Jesus pray. It was only when they heard him that they said, Lord, teach us to pray. When they didn't hear Jesus pray, they thought they prayed well. How do you hear Jesus pray? I'm going to give you four ways. If you want to take a picture of that real fast before they take it off. If you don't, I don't care. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna, it's a heat wave, that's my thing, right? How did they hear Jesus pray? There are four ways to hear Jesus pray. Number one, your Bible. Listen, we're like, we, the, the training wheels are back on even for us seasoned Christians. Read your Bible every single day of your life and feel bad when you don't. Read it. First of all, it's a great book, super important. Second of all, the only reason we don't read it is either if we're sloppy with our time or we're frustrated because we don't know what we're reading when we read it. Both of them just put your eyes on two verses if that's all you could do. Put your eyes on the Lord is my shepherd and just eat that for the rest of the day. But Put your face, get some of those words into your eye gate so it goes into your mind because this is where the gates of hell are. What did Adam and Eve eat? They ate the tree of the knowledge. Where did David hit Goliath? Where'd the crown of thorns go? Jesus is the what of the church. This is where everything happens. So put his words in your brain. Because number one reason you should read your Bible is not for devotions. It's to hear what the Spirit prays every day. The Spirit is always telling the story of Joshua in the battle of Jericho. The Spirit is always telling the story of Noah and the flood. The Spirit is always saying a father had two sons. One left him and went into reckless living, and the other stayed in a field. The Spirit is always telling, I saw a new heavens and a new earth descending out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. The Spirit is always saying, restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and we need to hear the Spirit pray. Because when we hear the Spirit pray, we will say, if that's prayer, teach me how to pray. Read your Bible. And if you say you don't have time, go to your phone and look at your screen time. You have time. You have time. You have time. Two. History. And don't act like this is only for people who are smart and stuff. Like You have Google. Google prayers that came from the church in different seasons of life over these last 2,000 years. Google prayers that came, that were written, that were prayed during the time of the Underground Railroad. Google prayers that the church was praying during the American Revolution, during World War I and II, during Vietnam, during times a thousand years before any of those times. Read what the church, have a book that has prayers in it that are nothing like prayers you would ever pray. Well, pastor, you know, written prayers quench the spirit. What do you think the song is? We don't want to pray written prayers in a a Roman Catholic liturgy because we think it's quenching the Spirit, but then we'll sing shoddy songs that somebody at Hillsong wrote. And all of a sudden, we sing them with passion and tears, and I see people who, when they hear a song they like, I watch you start worshiping for the first time in six weeks because you like that one. Dad, those are written prayers too. What do you think the Psalms are? 150 songs. So don't give me I don't like written prayers. We ha- all we have are written prayers. This is a heat wave. Burning in my heart. <laughs> Read the Book of Common Prayer. Not from the episcopals. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. Read prayers that have stood the test of time, that have brought our Christian genealogy through everything that has ever happened in the last 2,000 years. Read them because that is how Jesus groaned through his body for all of those years. Hearing the church pray in its history is hearing Jesus pray because that's what Jesus was praying. How do you know that? Because that's what his body was saying. And I've said this before, but you can't only be spontaneous because if you're only spontaneous, then that means you're planning to be spontaneous. And if you're planning to be spontaneous, guess what? You're not anymore. What else we got? Oh, your local church, here. This is one of the ways we hear Jesus pray. By, I'm going to say this, and this is radical, being here. Let's leave no stone unturned. Being here and realizing that here, On the day that we keep celebrating the resurrection is when we hear Jesus' body in our culture, in our time, going through the stuff that we're going through now, praying when you hear somebody groaning, when you see somebody have hands laid on them, when you hear somebody next to you praying, when Carrie gets really excited in the moment of a song and you know she's feeling the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit praying through her, showing you how he prays so that you say, teach me to sing like that. Teach me to worship like that. Maybe i got to do more than this. Then, then, there might be a time Where it's this loud in the room. And all the Pentecostals are like, Oh, Spirit is quenched in here. He has left Ichabod, he has gone. Or the Spirit is showing us that one of the ways that he trusts the Father is by not having to say anything. and just being and letting things settle. The preaching, the liturgies, the prayers, the Lord's table. When you hang out with each other outside a church, as the church, and you talk about what God is doing in your life, this is how you hear Jesus pray. And finally, groanings in your own self. The Holy Spirit groans in us with groanings too deep for words. Your pain is one of the ways that Jesus is showing you how he prays. So we have to let go of a church culture that ignores or doesn't confess pain Or wrongdoing or yeah, I should have went up for that altar call, but I didn't want I'm a leader in the church. I didn't want people to see me go up there because oh my gosh. Man, I will never give an altar call that I don't need to be at, Jeff. Difference between me is I sit in the front, I'm there. I am all the time at an altar call when I walk into this building. But all of those ways need each other and are how we hear Jesus pray. When we hear Him pray, we will say, teach me to pray. When we hear our brothers and sisters in Christ share their testimony, we'll say, teach me to pray. I'm excited again to pray for my kids. I'm excited again to pray for my health. I'm excited again. And N.T. Wright, Uh, said this. This is when he was bishop, and N.T. Wright said this. He said, when you pray, pray thousands of prayers for the world, hundreds of prayers for your family, and dozens of prayers for yourself. He's a genius. Pray thousands of prayers for the world, hundreds of prayers for your family, dozens of prayers for yourself. Is he saying to ignore yourself? But he's saying, when you pray, first, pray the most for people that will never even touch or benefit your life, people you don't even know, people who will never know that you prayed for them, people who will never thank you for doing it, who will only know when they get to heaven that you have filled up bowls of incense for them. Pray hundreds of prayers for your family. That's a lot of prayers, NT. That's a lot of prayers. And pray dozens of prayers for yourself. Pray for yourself a lot. But pray for others more. That's what the church is doing. Why is the church doing that? Because that's all Jesus ever did. He prayed for himself. I thirst. If it's your will, let this cup pass. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now he's praying for other people. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's praying for other people. He prayed some prayers for himself. He prayed tons of prayers for everybody else. And just know, if everybody's doing this, when you're not praying prayers for yourself, I'm praying prayers for you because I'm not praying prayers for myself. And when I wonder, well, what about me? I'll know that you're praying prayers for me because you're not praying prayers for yourself. Thousands for the world, hundreds for your family, dozens for you. Pray for yourself. But let your passion be praying for the world as well. Still going. He Jesus does something interesting when he teaches us to pray. First he says, pray like this. And he gives them, everybody's favorite word, a liturgy. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he tells them exactly what to say. Don't say your own stuff. Say this when you pray. That's what he tells them. Say this. Luke is nice. He truncates it. Matthew extends it. But both of them are saying... That Jesus told us not just how to pray, but the words to actually say when you're praying. But then he tells a story. He tells the story of a father who's in bed with his children when there's a knock at the door. This is still Jesus teaching us how to pray. So over here he's saying when you pray, pray these exact words. Pray a liturgical Prayer. A prayer that is planned ahead of time. Say the words. But then over here, he's like, and when you're done doing that, knock, go crazy, say anything that comes to your mind until I answer you. So he's telling you exactly what full embodied prayer is. It's liturgical, written, regimented prayers. And then it's absolute and complete recklessness. Even being rude. It's midnight. If you text me at midnight, I'm going to be annoyed. If my notifications are off and I find out at 9 that you texted me at midnight, I'm going to be like, why? This better be good. I don't care that the Mets blew it in the ninth again. I wasn't watching. Jesus is saying, be rude to God. Wake him up. Pray recklessly for your children. Recklessly for the world. Recklessly for your family. Pray this written prayer. Pray this trellis. Get to know it and then fill it with the flowers and the roses and the fruit of whatever bubbles up out of you. Because who are we praying to? We're praying to a God who's the kind of God that is in bed with His children. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. So when Jesus tells a parable, you're hearing what is in the heart of God. And in that parable, Jesus likens God to a Father who at midnight has His children where? No, no, no. When your children cry, don't go to them. When your children cry, go in there, but don't make eye contact. I've heard this. It's been taught to me. You hear Theo crying. If you go get him and you bring him out of that room, you're going to teach him forever. That what? I care? Has God ever showed up for you in the midnight hour? Raise your hand. Has God ever showed up in your night seasons? Have you ever had a dark night of the soul and God has shown up in your life? Have you called to him in your night seasons of life? And he answered, guess what? God picks up his kids when they cry at night. He doesn't let them cry it out. He's not saying park them in bed every single night. Don't do that to yourself, mom and dad. But he's saying when you discern the cry of, I just want to be up from, and every parent who is paying attention to the voice of their children, knows that cry is not going to stop because they need me. Get them. Get them. Why? Because when Jesus tells us to pray, he likens God to a father who has his children in bed with him. Which means when our children, especially when they're young, cry, they're learning to pray. And when we ignore their cry we're communicating to them what God is like. When we don't make eye contact, we're communicating to them what God is like. But apparently, according to Jesus, he's not that way. God's the kind of God who's saying, don't knock on the door. My children just got in bed with me and they just went to sleep. It happens to us all the time. Theo's crying, Theo's crying. We finally, you know what? You know what? Just get him, just get him. He's not going to stop, just bring him in here. And all of a sudden, you, he, you, you can feel this like calmness come over him. And then Sophia gets up. How are you going to tell Sophia to go back to bed now? Theo's in. Look, if somebody knocked on my door at that point, I i don't care how much bread you need. Walmart's 24-7. But I'm just, I'm, I'm saying this to you. I'm saying this to you young parents. Have a rhythm. Train your children. Don't let them get whatever they want because they cry. That's not healthy. Okay, so the extreme of don't make eye contact, never go in there, no, that's abusive. The the whole thing of just always let them be with you and and because really you're scared for them not to be, even though they probably are sick of being around you, that's not healthy for them, but have a rhythm where you try to discern in your spirit what cry you're hearing and know that you're teaching them how God responds in the night seasons of their life. And if you're here and you're saying, pastor, information I could have used 20 years ago, all I'm saying to you now, I don't care how old your children are, listen to me very carefully. Right now, no matter how old they are, be with them in their night seasons and let go of your ego. Be with them in their night seasons now. They're struggling in their marriage. Be with them. Don't just tell them everything they're doing wrong. Just be with them. Be there. Hold them still. We're all going to go through night seasons. We're all going to go through the dark night of the soul no matter how old we are. It's midnight for somebody today. Be with them. Even if they're not reaching back to you, you let them know, I'm in this doorway, I'm darkening this doorway, and if you don't ever reach for me, I'm still still reaching for you because I want you to know what Jesus is like. They don't have to call you back, text them in their night seasons. They could yell at you and say, never talk to me again. Be there for them in their night seasons. Be stubborn, mom and dad. Be rebellious against their rebellion. Be there for them. Let them know you're there. Let them know it's so easy to get in touch with you. It's simple to get in touch with you. That's the kind of God we pray to. That's the kind of God we pray to. Almost done. Still going. Give me 10 more minutes of another point and then three more points. Well, he says, pray for anything and he'll give it to you. But then he finishes the parable with something very interesting. If your son asks you for an egg, don't give them a snake. Fair that's, I mean, that's not a stretch, I hope. Ron, would that constitute a, an investigation? It would. Okay, so no, no snakes for breakfast. Got it. Jesus is saying God will answer anything you pray if you ask for things that are like a child asking for food. He doesn't say if your child asks you for 27 candy bars, God will give it to him. Notice how masterful he is at telling stories. When your child asks for something that can help them, you'll give it to them. So this doesn't mean, what's so, pray for houses and cars and lands. No. He tells you what to pray for. The Holy Spirit, and I'll give it to you. Wake me up for the Holy Spirit, and I'll get up and answer the door. Be relentless for the Holy Spirit. And I'll make you sensitive to the fact that I gave the Holy Spirit to you a long time ago. I'll unnumb what's been numbed by vices. The Spirit is you ready? The Spirit may be the prayer that will be answered a hundred percent of the time until Jesus comes back. We're going to pray for protection. We're not always going to get it. Don't know why. We're going to pray for wars to cease. They're going to rage. We're going to pray for natural disasters to be stayed because these are things that kids should pray to their father for. Amen. We're going to wonder why a lot of our good prayers aren't answered. Yes, we are. But the one prayer that will always be answered is I need the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's because I need the Holy Spirit because you haven't answered my other prayers and I don't know how to handle myself. Anybody been there? You prayed for something that actually was good and it didn't happen? Tragic loss? Financial issues that weren't the product of your sinfulness, the product of somebody else's? God, you didn't answer my prayers, but I'm going to ask for the one thing that you will give me in the midst of the tension of unanswered prayers, and that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus had an unanswered prayer. If it's your will, let this cup pass. No response. And he shows us what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of not hearing God respond to a prayer. I'm going to say this fast, and then we will be done. The Our Father is a prayer for the reconciliation of the whole world. When we say, Father, it harkens back to the Exodus. Because it was in the Exodus story first that Israel heard God say, Israel is my firstborn son. It was when Moses went to Pharaoh that he said, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness to pray. So when we pray our Father, we are asking God to deliver the world from slavery. When we say, Hallowed be thy name. We are doing, when we hallow God's name, when we praise him, when we worship him, when we thank him, we are doing what life will look like for everyone one day. Praising God. So when we worship him, if you're healthy enough right now in your life to be able to wake up and worship God, you are not just worshiping God for yourself, you're doing what will one day be everybody's reality, you're doing it for them now. Daily bread. Let's just be very simple about this. Give us this day our daily bread. You know you're privileged when daily bread gets to be an analogy. Daily bread is forgiveness. Daily bread is needing a word from God. Daily bread is the scriptures. You know what? You are privileged when daily bread really doesn't mean daily bread for you. But there are billions of people on this earth who are actually hoping for actual like bakery daily dough bread to eat. So when we pray daily bread, let's remember that there are people that are not fed and ache for them. And let it bother you and be mad at God about it. Forgiveness, the restoration of relationships and the lessening of our need for vengeance. God, I don't want you to kill my coworker, but I would not mind them tripping and falling down and hurting their elbow. And then lead us not. Is really saying lead us out and continue the Exodus. Because the powers of darkness still have me a little bit. I don't know about you. It's real hard to have a straight week of being on fire for the Lord. It is real easy to get knocked off that horse. I still need deliverance in my life. But you're saved. Yeah hang out with me for 10, maybe I'm not, I don't know. (laughs) Depending on your theology, I'm probably not, but I still need deliverance in my life. Until temptation doesn't have anything on me, I need deliverance in my life. The minute my insides say, ooh, to something I shouldn't say, ooh, to, I need deliverance. When we pray, God teaches us how to recover the ordinary, and we can stop trying to be so extraordinary to mask the fact that we would just love to see the hand of God in the everyday things. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Was it extraordinary when God took down the walls of Jericho? Was that extraordinary? Yeah, it was. Why did he do it? So that we could take down walls and conquer cities? Or so that we could learn that what's ordinary to God is a world without walls built? I do know where really you stand on that issue, but okay. Was it extraordinary when God healed a leper? Did God do that because he hopes there's lepers all the time so that Christians can do extraordinary things? Or did he do an extraordinary thing to bring ordinary back into somebody's life that didn't have it? Remember the woman that was hunched over because she had a back issue? And Jesus touched her and she stood up straight for the first time. Did he do that because he wants there to be people who are hunched over so that Christians can be impressive? Or did he do something extraordinary to recover the ordinary back into somebody's life? One day, God wants to be done doing extraordinary things because he doesn't have to anymore. Because there are no more walls that divide us. Because there's no more reason to weep or cry. So does he want us doing extraordinary things? Yes. But only to bring the ordinary back into somebody else's life, not to prove the worth of yours. He wants you to be extraordinary so that the ordinary can be brought back into somebody else's life, not so that you could say, look how extraordinary my life is. We do extraordinary things for ourselves because we're so dissatisfied with our life, but we're supposed to be doing extraordinary things for people who are living less than ordinary to bring them up to ordinariness. And one day, there will be no more need to do that because every wall will be flattened. What does John the Baptist say? Every valley will be lifted and every hill will be leveled. And the knowledge... The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He wants you to be extraordinary so that you can bring the ordinary back into somebody else's life. So what does he do? He brings us to this table and he takes something less than ordinary, wafers, and he pours his spirit on it and he makes it extraordinary The body and blood of Jesus. So that he could recover the ordinary. Which is us knowing that there's always a place for us and anybody else at his table. He takes something less than ordinary. Makes it extraordinary. To remind us that the ordinary is that you have a place at his table. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. And that is the message we're supposed to take out of here to the world. Come and sit at my table because you're always welcome at Jesus' table. Well, I don't say anything that you've done. I'm not even here to ask you to make a decision. I just want to break bread with you. Because something happens when bread breaks, doesn't it? They say for the rest of the Bible, isn't it interesting how he was made known to us in the breaking of the bread? That's ordinary when you sit down with people and break bread with them and let them know there's a place in your life. Well, guess what? You're the body of Christ. So if there's a place for them in your life, they're already in Jesus' life. Holy Spirit, thank you that you bring us back to the night when Jesus was betrayed. When we put ourselves in that room, we hear him say, This is my body as he holds up the bread, broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, eat it in remembrance of me that you're welcome here. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins as often as you drink it. Drink it to remember that you have a place here where enemies become friends. And friends turn other enemies into friends. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And descend on all of us in this room and everybody from home and anoint us for the work of the ministry. Forgive us of our sins. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Renew a right spirit within us. Sustain us with a right spirit that we may go and teach sinners your ways and have our lives open to them that they would see that we're sinners being taught your ways. (laughs) I pray that this meal would multiply in homes and that every time somebody sits down at the table of somebody from Salem Tabernacle, they will know that they are sitting down at the Lord's table and that we would bring the ordinary back into other people's lives. And I pray that we would be restored in our prayer life, Father God, that you would restore prayer in Salem Tabernacle, that we would pray effortlessly, that we would pray the Lord's Prayer and have it burn in our soul, that we, would, that we would relentlessly pray that the Holy Spirit would be given to the world, our families, and ourselves, that we would never stop asking for your Holy Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit would be part of our life. But I pray that we would become prayers again. And that homes this week and forever would be radically changed by people praying. Just the atmosphere that is cultivated when people pray changes things. Some things we know, some things we'll never know. But things change, things heal, things move toward the new heavens and the new earth when we pray. And so I pray that you bless us with the remembrance and the ability to pray. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Everybody from this side, you could receive here. Everybody from this side, I'll be right here in the center for everybody. And if you would feel more comfortable with the regular cups, the ushers have them for you. Come to the Lord's table and worship with us one more time. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.